Hello, everyone. This is Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for the Life Over Coffee podcast. I am glad that you are here. If you appreciate what we are doing with these podcasts, would you jump on your platform and give us a five-star rating and also write a nice review that will help us to reach more people. It's just one small way that you can partner with us as we share the practical message of Christ with the world. Thank you again for being here. It is a joy to be able to serve you. Abuse cases continue to rise in the world and the evangelical church. Christians are not impervious to the disastrous effects of abuse or the mishandling of abuse cases. Every week, our ministry hears a story or receives a request from the abused, the accused, pastors, and biblical counselors. The noise is loud, and the division between Christians continues to rise. In this episode, I am going to speak to some of these complicating issues, and it is complicating. There is a good chance that I can make someone on every team mad by what I have to say, but it is just that vital that we talk openly and honestly, and I trust humbly, and most most definitely, if you communicate with us, it will be with civility about this issue. But I do want to touch all the bases, as many bases as I can, because it is a serious matter. I received an email yesterday from a biblical counselor asking me my opinion about an article that uh, she read. And so I, I read the article, and that's actually why I'm doing uh, this particular episode. I spent the weekend in Ohio at Delaware Bible Church talking with uh, two pastors who and a counseling ministry that's struggling with abuse cases and, and wanting help as it continues to rise. I did the same thing in Colorado. This is an unending conversation that I have. In fact, I have this conversation so much that I I have written scores of articles, produced podcasts, and videos about our problems with abuse. And if you want to read some of those resources, then I would just encourage you to go to the search feature of our website, and you can type in the word abuse, type in the word victim, or the word counseling, and you will find all sorts of resources. Of course, if you want to interact with our team, then what I would encourage you to do is to create your free username and password, and you can jump on our forums and you can ask whatever questions you like. Our desire is to serve you. Uh, We want to do that. This issue of abuse is not going to go away, and we want to interact with it. We do have some people who come to our forums, and they were very toxic in their communication. We just had that recently, and of course, there's no way that we can talk uh, to an individual who is that dogmatic and toxic and angry at us, and we had nothing to do with the problem that she found herself in. But if you want to communicate in a civil way, we would love to interact with you because this is a real problem and folks are hurting. Not only are they hurting, but there are many in the biblical counseling community that are doing harm. They are making the problem worse by by counseling the cases because they're not qualified to do so. I'm not talking about every biblical counselor because that's not true, but many biblical counselors are complicating the issue. And so there's 
there's sin and there's there are issues that need to be addressed on both sides, whether it's the abused or those who are counseling abuse and of course the abusers. And so there's enough there's enough on all three sides that we do need to address. And I'm going to try to do that in this podcast. And if any of this applies to you, I would just appeal to you to humbly take it to heart. Ask God how you can change and then reach out to those that you believe are competent enough to help you to change. If you want to read the show notes, I have a lot of information here, and I would love for you to have access to that. Our resources are free by the grace of God. We will continue to make them free and just trust that the Lord will move hearts so that uh, there will be enough folks who will underwrite our ministry so that we can continue to produce these resources freely to the world. This is episode 351, and the title of it is Why Most Biblical Counselors Should Not Take On Abuse Cases. And I had a long and private conversation with a pastor recently sharing my concerns, not with him, uh, but with the biblical counseling movement. I have been outspoken about the incompetencies of the biblical counseling movement, some of the unintended consequences, and places where we have failed. And I'm going to continue to speak out uh, against that. I love biblical counseling. I have a, a solid, strong, vibrant, passionate sufficiency of Scripture worldview. I do believe that God's Word is sufficient for even abuse cases. It, it is sufficient for all things pertaining to life and godliness. I do become frustrated with uh, some of the podcasts and other uh, prominent talking heads who, for whatever reason, uh, they don't they don't talk about this in a more open and transparent way that I believe that they should. But nevertheless, uh, I have no desire to be harsh or unkind toward anyone. I'm not going to call anyone out in this podcast. That's just not my style. But I do want to be forthright and direct because people are hurting. As we tell our students all the time, the end of our mastermind training program is going to sit you down in front of someone who is hurting. And because that is the end game, that is the point of all the training, we're going to be very honest with how we perceive each of our students' capabilities and competencies and character and capacities. And we're going to be honest with them because we cannot hurt people. Over the last few years, I've been coming through the IABC, the International Association of Biblical Counselors, debacle, which is still a debacle in my view, uh, because they haven't publicly uh, walked out repentance, as far as I'm concerned, into my awareness. And I've spoken about that specifically in one podcast, the entire podcast, and then half of another podcast. And just recently, another former executive board member of IABC was disciplined out of his church. And so now two of the past five board members of IABC have been under 
church discipline. And that is a stunning thing to think that the leaders of a counseling organization were so awful, uh, so tyrannical, uh, that they were put under church discipline. Of course, that entire board was uh, dismantled, and they created a new board. And, of course, they have yet to publicly walk uh, people through where they were, what they're doing, and what their plan is for a path forward. Now, again, if that information is out there, please correct me and lead me to it so I can hear a clear recounting of what they have put off, how they are renewing their minds as far as an organization is concerned, and what is the plan to put on. Because there should be zero tolerance for harsh biblical counselors, incompetent biblical counselors, because it is a complicating problem. And again, I don't want to be unkind, but when I, I continue to get these emails, I continue to have these conversations, and the conversations are, are on every side. It's not just incompetent biblical counselors, it's also uh, the victims of abuse uh, who are not working through their abuse with humility. And then, of course, there is an entire integrated world uh, that is taking an empathetic approach uh, to their biblical counseling, and ultimately they don't have the courage or the insight to lead the abused victims through their abuse. And then, of course, you have the abusers. Just as an aside, I have talked about this a lot with our supporting community. I do direct messages Monday through Friday to our supporting community, and these are video messages that I provide uh, to our financial underwriters, and they are on uh, the private side of our forums, and so these direct messages cannot be accessed or viewed by anyone other than those who are supporting our ministry financially. But I, one of the things that I, one of the direct messages that I provided recently is a book that I wrote, uh, sorry, <laughs> no, uh, a book that I read, I'm not that good, I can't write that well, uh, by Malcolm Gladwell. Uh, it's not a Christian book, but it's called Talking to Strangers. And in that book, uh, he lays out how impossible it is to discern if a person is telling the truth or not. And I, I have just been uh, overjoyed and encouraged and uh, enlightened uh, and, and, and re- reminded of how impossible it is to know if a person is telling the truth. And the reason I'm sharing that with you is because those who do biblical counseling, it's virtually impossible to tell if someone is telling you the truth, and it is a dangerous thing. And biblical counselors talk about halo data and all this stuff, and it's fine up to a point. But at the end of the day, let's be honest, uh, 54%, something like that, of trained CIA agents have do not have the ability to discern if a person is telling the truth or not. Uh, and, and Gladwell walks through that in his book, Talking to Strangers. And I say that uh, because not only are, are some biblical counselors messing up this, uh, and some abused people are quite toxic, uh, but 
also the abused are getting away with it because it's virtually impossible to tell if they're telling the truth. So this is a complex matter on all three sides. Now, again, if you want to read these show notes and look at some of the information that I have here, go to episode 351 titled, Why Most Biblical Counselors Should Not Take On Abuse Cases. Not only do I have articles linked here, for example, why some certain Certified Biblical Counselors Harm People, another one, What to Do When the Biblical Counseling is Harsh. And then I have five one-hour webinars, Sympathy and Empathy, you must know this, that's one. The Dangerous Tension of a Victim Mentality, that's two. Examining and Identifying the and identifying the target of change as three, how to identify the ruling motives of the heart, and then finally the doctrine of repentance, a Christian secret weapon. There are five hours of training here in video keynote presentations that you're also welcome to watch. I want you to have this information, and we have a lot more because it is essential that we look at abuse, not from a one-sided way. I'm not just hammering biblical counselors, for which I am one, a biblical counselor. Again, let me restate, I love biblical counseling. I have a sufficiency of Scripture worldview. I believe that God's Word speaks to all things pertaining to life and godliness. But God's Word is not a magic book. Uh, it is it is a it is a cooperative effort between uh, God providentially guiding us, the Spirit of God illuminating us, the Word of God uh, that gives us what we need to life and godliness, and people cooperating with God, discerning His truth and applying it practically. And if we do not know how to do that well, when it comes to complex cases we will hurt people. And so I just want to go through seven quick points covering different angles about abuse. And again, this is not a plenary presentation in no way, no how. Uh, I, I would remind you one more time that that I have written uh, tons of tons of resources or created tons of resources on this subject. And so this is not an exhaustive treatment of it. This is just another addition on the pile that I will continue to create. And so let, let me hit my uh, seven points in episode 351. Number one, there is legitimate abuse. Abuse does happen. It is a legitimate thing. Now, in my view, it would be a more accurate term to call what is happening sin. Abuse is a cultural word, but what is happening to a person is sin. And once you call it sin, it is a perfect word for what is happening. And so if you could look at sin like a, a, a bucket of sorts, and then out of that bucket comes a million manifestations of sin. And the reason that is important is because if you want to care for a person well, you have to discern with specificity exactly what is happening to that individual. Just to throw the term abuse on them, it's like saying the word pride. Pride also is a very broad term because every sin is a manifestation of pride. So if you were to say I, that you were proud, I, I, I would 
I'd have an idea, at least in the general direction of, of what you're talking about, but I would want to know what manifestation of pride are you talking about so that I could help you. And so when a person says that they are experiencing abuse, that helps me directionally, but it doesn't help me specifically and so honestly, the best word is still sin. And so you could say that my husband is sinning against me or my wife is sinning against me, and that's, that gets us started. But then we can start teasing out with specificity, what do you mean exactly? Uh, the word abuse, uh, unfortunately, has become a catch-all phrase. It has been an elasticized word, and that is point number two. There are other sins that are not abuse. Now, there are some specific things uh, that would fit within the abuse category, like sexual abuse. That would be rape or molestation or incest, things like that. Physical violence also would be abuse as well. And then there are other things that just do not fit within the bucket of abuse. But again, we have made it a catch-all. Now, I want you to understand that when I say that everything doesn't fit within the bucket of abuse, it doesn't minimize at all what is happening to you. It doesn't. Not at all. I'm not saying that there's no legitimacy in whatever you're saying has happened to you, not saying that at all. I'm just saying that when we have one word to that, that encompasses so many different things, it, what it does is it delegitimizes legitimate abuse, like physical violence or sexual abuse. And so it is better uh, to clearly identify what is happening to you so you can get specific help for whatever that is. And so point number one, there is legitimate abuse, though the more accurate word would be sin. And then point number two, there are other sins that are not abuse. Some folks have elasticized the definition for abuse. That's point number two. Point number three, some individuals counsel abuse situations well. And so I have been hammering biblical counselors quite a bit thus far in this podcast, but it is true that some individuals do counsel abuse situations well. It's just, it's just true. But that number of people is is few. It's very few. I did a, a Zoom call with some biblical counselors in Colorado last night, and I was talking about how many churches there are and how many Christians there are and how few people can counsel these complex cases well. And it is a huge problem in my view that we are certifying biblical counselors and we're not as clear as we should be about talking about the distinctions between certified biblical counselors. It is as though in many people's minds that when they get a certification that the ground is level and everybody is the same, and it is just not true. There are 
so I, after that meeting with those with that counseling ministry, I actually Googled how many churches are there in America, and one survey said there's approximately 380,000 uh, churches in America. And so you can take that for what it's worth. Let's say 400,000 churches in America. And then I jumped on the ACBC website and it looked like, from the best I could tell, there were 1,600 plus certified biblical counselors, and maybe that's wrong. Let's just say that there's 2,000 certified biblical counselors. If there are 2,000, or if there are 3,000, it doesn't matter. If there's 2,000 certified biblical counselors, I would imagine that 50 or less would be competent enough to counsel abuse cases. And so, therefore, you have a, and even if all 2,000 of them had the kind of training to counsel abuse cases, which is not true at all. The overwhelming majority of them should not be counseling abuse cases. There's still 380,000 churches approximately in America, and so the number of people that can counsel abuse cases is unbelievably small just within the certified counseling arena with a ACBC specifically. But the folks that can counsel abuse cases well, these are people who have received beginning, intermediate, and advanced training to engage in complex counseling cases. Now, please listen to that. ACBC training is beginning. It's not even intermediate, not if you're talking about doing counseling well. I tell our students that you go through our mastermind program, that is the beginning, and it still takes five to seven years of counseling on a daily and weekly basis in order to get your reps in, to grow to where you possibly can get to the place of counseling complex cases, but it's not just our training. You need more training. You need a master's minimally in biblical counseling counseling in order to do this well, plus you have to be seasoned. So these individuals who do counsel abuse cases well, they have received beginning, intermediate, and advanced training. They also are seasoned individuals who have been doing biblical counseling for years. And if you do not fit that criteria minimally, then I would just appeal to you to pause and reconsider and reevaluate who you are counseling because it could be you're in danger of hurting people. So number three, some individuals do counsel abuse situations well. Number four, some Christians should not be counseling these situations because they do not have the character, the capacity, the competence, the courage, or the compassion to do so. And those are the five areas that we evaluate in our mastermind program. The character of the individual. I talked about two IABC board members who were disciplined out of their church, I mean, out of their church, because they did not have the character, and they were leading a counseling organization. How horrific is that? Character, and then capacity. God did not make everybody equal, no matter what our culture tells us. It's just not true. Everybody has only so many ounces, and some people have a greater capacity than others. Number three, 
competence. I have been speaking to that by talking about beginning, intermediate, and advanced training, plus seasoned individuals doing years of biblical counseling. That is competence. And then number four, courage, having the courage to be able to get into these complex cases, whether you're interacting with the abused victim, which takes a lot of courage, and then also those who are doing the abuse. It takes a significant amount of courage to care for them also. And then number five, compassion. Courage without compassion will be harsh without question. Compassion without courage will leave you, will take you right to the empathy trap. And I have a one-hour webinar that walks through that issue in these show notes here. And so some Christians should not be counseling these situations because they don't have the character, the capacity, the competence, the courage, or the compassion to do so. Number five, some abused folks respond humbly to what happened to them. They know how to steward suffering well, and they have gone through horrendous things, but when you talk to them, they they speak with a humble heart. Number six, some abused folks are toxic about the abuse and the care that they have received. There are many Facebook groups that are just toxic cultures where people are loud and proud, and and you can't talk to them, and they're so triggered, uh, and it's very difficult to talk to them, and this is, is, it's true, it's a shrill community of abused folks. They are legit in what happened to them, but the way that they communicate and interact with the body of Christ is toxic. Some do it humbly, and some do it with toxicity. Number seven, the need for competent people to come alongside a reported abuse situation to discern what is true and false, to protect the hurting, to separate the hurtful, to create a plan to bring change to the problem, to see it through to the right end. There is a huge need within the church for these competent people, and this number is few. Every Christian cannot do this, and most certified biblical counselors do not have the ability either. Putting yourself in a position to do this can cause great harm to the body of Christ. It takes the wisdom of Solomon, the competence of Christ, the the determination of Paul, the sovereign oversight of God, and a vessel who has the training and the experience to navigate these waters. This is episode 351, Why Most Biblical Counselors Should Not Take On Abuse Cases. I was sharing with the pastor that I was talking about this most recently, about the qualifications and how the, the limited qualification and experience that biblical counselors receive and have before they're sitting in front of an abuse victim, and then I compared it to how the world does it. I did an interview, a podcast interview, several months ago with Jen Chen. She was a clinical psychologist, and she became a certified biblical counselor, and I asked her to walk me through what you had to go through in order to be a clinical psychologist, and it was absolutely phenomenal. This is what she told me that she had to do to get her license to be a clinical psychologist. And as you listen to this, think about that, and then think about 
a certified biblical counselor counseling abuse cases. The disparity, the difference is absolutely stark. Number one, she said getting accepted into graduate school. Her GRE scores, past grades, shown interest in psychology, letters of recommendation. Number two, academic classes and a dissertation. Here are the academic classes. First year, intensive supervision on one or two cases, case conceptualization, review of video, sometimes transcribing whole sessions. Second to fifth years, 16 to 20 hours a week at a practicum, which includes weekly supervision, typically one hour of individual and one to one and a half hours of group supervision. Sixth year, a year of internship, which is 40 hours a week, including two hours individual, two hours group supervision. Number three, if you have completed all your classes, your dissertation and internship, you're now considered a clinical psychologist. Number four, if you want to become licensed, you have to pass the EPPP, the Examination for Professional Practice in Psychology, and complete another 2,000 hours under a licensed psychologist, including a minimal number of supervised hours. You also have to pass the ethics test character for state providence in which you are licensed. Number five, you have to complete 36 hours of continuing education every two years to renew your license, at least in California. Number six, in the practicum, internship, and postdoctoral hours, you are working under someone's professional license, and thus what you do falls under their ethical and legal responsibility. Under a competent supervisor, you're immersed in the world, in their worldview, learning to think, theory, and act interventions similarly. The same goes for a professor and teaching assistant or writing a dissertation under a dissertation chair or committee. You're given written evaluations or grades based on how well you can think and work within their framework. That's how the world does it. We need a better plan before we put people in front of those who have experienced abuse. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.